education and uh, a well-deserved one. I hope that you would be praying for him and his family, not only this last week, but also this coming week, as they enjoy their time away. We are privileged this morning to have Brad Stevens join us from Goodlettsville, and in a type of uh, ceremonial type thing, he was bathed this morning as he drove from Goodlettsville over, and uh, we appreciate the Lord's providence in bringing him here and his bringing the word to us. Brad, come and join Good morning. I bring you greetings from Hickory Grove PCA in Mount Juliet. Uh, and also, I'm a ruling elder there. And from uh, Faith PCA in Goodlettsville, where I live. Uh, both of these churches have been instrumental in helping me uh, plan a church, uh, a new church in Gallatin. And uh, we've been meeting in Gallatin now for almost two years. And we began with uh, four families and 10 people and have grown to eight families and 33 people. And uh, we're at the point about growing our current facility and are currently looking for a larger place where we can begin our Sunday night worship services. Uh, I thank you and Richard for uh, extending me the opportunity to minister God's word to you today. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 61. And I do get dry, so I will take a drink occasionally, uh, just so you know. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, uh, starting with verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flock Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Let's pray. 
Oh, Father God, we come to you uh, not deserving of your great, great redemption. And yet we find that you lavish it upon us in spite of who we are. And we thank you for that. We ask that you would take your word and apply it to our hearts, uh, that we might walk fully in the redemption that you have given us. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I wanted to read that whole passage because it gives a fuller understanding of redemption and salvation than we're used to hearing. I don't know about you, but I grew up with a very limited uh, view of what salvation was. It was pretty much limited to forgiveness of sins. Now, that's not a bad thing if you understand what sin really is and the fullness and depth of sin, but most evangelicals uh, believe in forgiveness of sins because it's easy. Uh, we're kind of like the opposite of the Pharisees. And let me try to explain that. You remember the story of the paralytic who was let down through the roof of a house uh, and uh, by some friends so Jesus could heal him? And Jesus says to the guy, your sins are forgiven you. Now the Pharisees get all bent out of shape about that. Uh, and they're saying among themselves, Jesus is blasphemy. Now, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus' re reply was, well, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? Uh, this is where most Christians are the opposite of the Pharisees. Uh, we would find it much easier to say, your sins are forgiven. Uh, not because we can forgive sins, but because we can say it and no one can prove whether it's true or not. Now, don't get me wrong, I believe in the forgiveness of sin. Uh, I've been taught forgiveness, and therefore it's easy for me to say, come to Jesus and get your sins forgiven. However, at the same time that I was taught forgiveness, I was also uh, taught a second message, an unspoken rule that permeated both the church and my home. And it was this, your sins are forgiven, so don't talk about your problems. Uh, in fact, you shouldn't have problems because your sins are forgiven. Jesus is the answer, and therefore you should have no more questions. I spent the first 30 years of my life knowing that my sins were forgiven, but I was crippled on the inside, broken, battered, captive, a prisoner to fear and shame and pain and a hundred other things. And even now, sometimes all of them getting up on me on the same day, and it's kind of messy. Well, I tried to muster the faith to believe that everything was okay, but I had all this deep, dark stuff in my life that I wasn't allowed to talk about. So I learned to push the stuff down and hope that Jesus would come back before I exploded. Uh, I was in a real predicament as a Christian uh, because I couldn't numb the pain that I had with alcohol or drugs. Those things weren't allowed. So I turned to uh, the Christian's favorite painkiller, lust. Did you know that a recent survey shows that there are more people inside the church that struggle with pornography than outside the church? Well, why do you think that is? Well, I can tell you. Uh, you see, a lust has no odor, doesn't dilate your pupil. It is, for the most part, undetectable. And yet the endorphin rush that it brings can numb pain just as well as drugs or alcohol. Lust is the church's drug of choice. But guess what? Lust isn't the problem. The internet isn't the problem. Hugh Hefner isn't the problem. What is the problem? We find a problem in 2 Timothy 3.5, where Paul says, They have a form of godliness denying the power. 
Welcome to American evangelicalism. One thing I learned while working on my master's in clinical psych and in my own personal experience is that there are what I will call numbing sins. Numbing sins are not primary sins. They're secondary sins that are used to cover the pain of primary sins or problems in a person's life. A person is born and then the stuff of life happens. Pain comes, sin is manifest, life hurts, and most of us don't deal with life very well, so we stuff it down. It begins to accumulate, and it grows, and pretty soon we know it's always there. In the back of our head or in the pit of our stomach, we always know there's something there gnawing at us. And everybody deals with that gnawing in different ways. Some of us drink, some of us lust, some of us work, some of us clean, some of us nag, some of us lash out. As that gnawing inside gets worse, we need more of our drug of choice to be able to ignore it. And eventually, even the things we use to numb our pain become problematic and our lives self-destruct. So the main problem isn't our Novocaine. It's the fact that we haven't dealt with our stuff properly. We haven't dealt with the stuff of life. Let's go back to Isaiah 61 and get some descriptors on what this looks like in individuals. And I'm not talking about the lost here. I'm talking about those of us that are in the church. Uh, We are poor, brokenhearted, captive, prisoners, mourners, faint-spirited, in ruins, devastated, shamed, and dishonored. Oh, now, we talk a good talk, you know, but our motto is to look good is better than to feel good. And I'm not talking about what people look like in public either. I'm talking about what people look like when you're home alone and you look in the mirror. What do you see? We come to Jesus to get our sins forgiven, and then we stand around going, well, what do I do with all the rest of this stuff? It may be forgiven, but it's still here. It still haunts me. And now I'm like an alcoholic who's run out of liquor and can't get anymore. I'm a dry drunk, which is not a pleasant thing to be or to be around. Uh, if we stop doing all of these numbing sins, we're giving up our Novocaine. And the problem then is we, we become just one big nerve that's been laid bare. I heard Sinclair Ferguson say once, we become sanctified with vinegar. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way. Let me tell you about redemption. Jesus came to shed his blood, not just to forgive your sins. He came to save you. Now, the word for salvation in the New Testament is sozo, and that's the same word that's used for healing. Isaiah 61 gives us a glimpse of what salvation and healing should look like. Jesus came to bind the brokenhearted, not to just leave you there with your heart broken. He came to bind up your broken heart, to forgive the debts of the poor, give liberty to captives, open the prison doors to prisoners, comfort the mourning. Give the oil of gladness instead of ashes, a garment of praise instead of faintness of heart, to rebuild the ruins of lives, to raise up the devastation, and instead of shame and dishonor, to give the highest honor, a double portion and everlasting joy. Jesus Christ shed his blood to pay for all of that stuff that you carry around. He knows those deep, dark things better than you do, and he's paid the price for them. They're already dealt with you can begin to let go of them. You do not have to be in bondage to those things. Excuse me. 
appropriate that we talked about water in Sunday school class today. But how do I get free? I'm so afraid of these things and the consequences of letting them out. Well, first of all, you don't get yourself free. This is not a self-help program. Uh, you are set free. Getting free is just as much a gift of grace as um, getting saved. Justification, being freed, being forgiven of your sins, being declared righteous is a gift of grace. So too is learning to walk in righteousness. Sanctification is by grace alone. Look at verse 10 of Isaiah 61. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has covered me with the garments of salvation. He has clothed me with a robe of righteousness. What a beautiful picture of God's gracious salvation. God dresses me in salvation and righteousness. He forgives my sins and imputes Christ's righteousness to me. I am holy and blameless in Christ Jesus by the grace of God. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 11. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up. That is the result of you being clothed in salvation, and robed in righteousness. God will cause righteousness to spring forth in you. How does this happen? Well, let me make it clear that Christianity is not magic. Um, by that I mean that saying the right words doesn't make everything in your life better. Um, Christianity is reality-based. The Word of God is meant to be applied to every area of your life. Not just spoken over it like magic. First uh, Timothy 1.8 says, We know the law is good if it is used lawfully. Well, that applies to the whole Word of God. The Word of God is good if it is used lawfully. If it is used according to its purpose. Its purpose is not to be a magic incantation to overpower your problems and put you on easy street. Its purpose is to teach you how to live in righteousness by God's grace, being rooted and grounded in love. You see, grace and righteousness go hand in hand. They're like opposite sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. Uh, let me explain out of my own life. By the time I was 30, I had been pushing down all of this stuff for so long that something had to give. The first thing that went was my numbing sin of lust. My, my life became out of control. I came to the place where I couldn't push anything else down. There were just too many balls to juggle, and I couldn't keep them all up in the air anymore. I began to drop them. My life began to fall apart. And at the time, I thought it was the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. And you realize, I'd been a Christian since I was 11. Um, you know, I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to me, but now I see that it was the spade of God breaking up the fallow ground in my life so that righteousness could begin to sprout. In the middle of life, no one ever looks around and says, oh, look what God's doing. He's causing righteousness to sprout. Um, at least nobody I know does that. They just live life and then look back years later and say, oh, that's what God was doing. Could have told me while it was happening, but no. 
Um, until this point in my life, I'd used the law unlawfully. I was saved, I was redeemed, but I was burying the things that I had been redeemed from. I was raising up idols to try to take care of the stuff that I had been burying and had been redeemed from. I was raising up idols to try to take care of them, and that's another word for numbing sins. Numbing sins are idolatry because you're looking for, to them to take away your pain. And that's God's job. You know, I, had, I hid the sins and the dark things. I pretended to the rest of the world that they didn't exist. I pretended everything was okay. Well, what's another word for pretending when it's done in a bad way? I would call that lying. I was bearing false witness about myself to others and to myself. I was saying everything is all right, but it wasn't. God, in his wonderful mercy, forced me into righteousness by taking away all other options. I had to start speaking the truth about myself. There was, there was nowhere else to go except death, from my perspective. So I began to speak the unspeakable. I began to break the no-tell policy that I'd been taught all my life. You know, in my family, it was, you were only allowed to laugh and smile. That was it. Um, you could go somewhere else and hide and cry if you wanted, or you could go somewhere and be angry. But in the house, you could only laugh and smile. That was it. Um, well, it was not easy to break that rule, to break that no-tell, no-talk policy. When Scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it means fear and trembling. And I was going against everything that I had been taught. No one in my family had ever spoken of the deep, dark things. And I was sure that those things would destroy me. It was like opening a floodgate. Out came all this trash and sewage that I'd been storing up for 30 years. And it wasn't easy. It was the most terrifying thing I'd ever done in my life. It was fear and trembling to the max. But we work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in us both to will and to do. Now, God waited until I was 30 to give me the will for righteousness in that area of my life. I do not understand God's timing. I don't always like God's timing, but I do know that whatever my God ordains is right, and I hang on to that. The grace of God was forcing righteousness out of me. God was lavishing me with grace upon grace. And what did grace look like? Well, it looked like anger and hatred and cursing and crying and fear and arrogance. Actually, uh, it looked like the truth. I started saying the truth. Someone, want, someone mentioned to me in a conversation a while back, uh, or they asked this question, is it okay to be angry with God? Well, the answer is no, it's not okay to be angry with God. Um, but it's also not okay to, to lie and say, I'm not angry with God when I am. Um, he already knows if you're angry. He's strong enough to be able to take it from you. He's not afraid of your anger. He already knows what it is. He knows the truth about you better than you do. And realizing that was one of the biggest blessings of my entire life. God is never afraid of the truth. I was given the freedom to let it out, and I did. 
I was afraid the tirade wouldn't stop once it started, but eventually it did. And the result was the beginning of freedom from bondage for the first time ever. God continued to lavish me with grace, and I found that once I started speaking the truth, bondage began to fall away. Now, I didn't work harder at not sinning. Okay, That's not how it works. You don't say, I'm going to quit sinning by trying to quit sinning. See, uh, most of your sin comes from sin. <laughs> Makes sense? Uh, what I began to do was I began to tell the truth, which is to walk in righteousness. I quit lying. Now, I didn't have, really have a choice. I, I, I didn't have anywhere to go. But as I quit lying, I found that these other things that had been pulling me begin to let go of me. Um, I worked harder by God's grace at doing righteousness. And, and again, again, by grace alone. I lived for 30 years learning and perfecting the art of lying. And God forced me to begin to tell the truth. And once I started, I couldn't seem to stop. The more truth about myself I told, the less lust began to have a hold on me. Bondage that had held me since I was five years old. And don't you think that your five-year-olds can't be in bondage? They can be. They can be. Uh, it's, you know, we're a wicked people. We're born wicked. Um, and be praying for your children. My parents didn't have a clue when I was growing up. And to be honest, they still wouldn't believe most of the stuff that went on in my life by the time I was five. But it was not pleasant, and it was it led me into bondage. Um, so pray for your children. Remember your children, and ask God to pour out his grace upon you. There's another side of the process as well. Being in bondage is about being without responsibility. Let me give you an example after I take a drink. Um, the lame man in the temple. <coughs> Excuse me. Peter and John come up and heal him. Right? You remember that? <coughs> Excuse me. His life has changed. He can now walk. But the next day he realizes he can no longer beg for a living. His entire career taken away in less than 30 seconds. He has to go learn a new trade. He has to learn how to work for the first time in his entire life. Here's an adult who now has to learn a new trade because of grace. Grace, in some ways, makes his life much harder, much more full of responsibility. Grace took away his excuses. I think that may be why Jesus asked uh, some People, if they wanted to get well. You know, there are people out there who don't want to be well. I'm sure some of you know some. I know plenty. Freedom means increased responsibility. To be free in Christ means to be responsible in Christ. Thank God he gives grace upon grace. The grace to deal with the new responsibilities that grace brings into our lives. You know, I wrote down the story of my life a few years back and I gave it to somebody to read and after she read it, she came to me and she said, I don't see very much grace in it. And I thought to myself, do you know what grace looks like? 
Because though there may be horrible things on every page, I see each one of them as an outpouring of God's grace. All things work to the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That is grace. It doesn't say all things are pleasant. Um, you know, even the horrible things in your life work to the good as God works His purposes in you. Don't misread that. It doesn't say that all things are good, but rather that all things, including the bad stuff, Work to the good, to make you the person that God has called you and created you to be. What's the point of all of this? Simply stated, redemption is so much bigger than your sin. Christ has come to set you free from all of it. Did you hear that? Christ has come to set you free from the bondage in your life. You do not have to be two-faced. You do not have to have the outward and the inward you. Christ came so that you could be you in Him. He has come to mend your broken heart, and He is not going to wait until heaven to do it. If you want to be saved, if you want to be so-so, to be healed of your broken heart, just ask. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Your sin has been paid for. God knows about all those secrets you hide in your heart, and He is not afraid of them. He is perfect love, and perfect love casts out fear. Now, I always think of love casting out fear as a bouncer trying to throw a drunk out of a bar. Uh, it may not look pretty, but the drunk is going out. Okay? Uh, don't think that, oh yeah, perfect love casts out fear, that's just a happy thing. No, 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 no. Where does it say that? It says perfect love casts out fear. You know how much your fear has a grip on you, and you know that it is not going to go without a fight. But guess what? It's already defeated. God wants to lead you down the path of gracious obedience. He wants to make righteousness sprout forth in your life. Guess what? God, what God wants, God gets. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ, until the day of Christ Jesus. God is not going to stop lavishing you with grace until the job is done. Justification, sanctification, glorification, all by grace alone. As Isaiah wrote, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts and, the, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. If you believe in Christ Jesus, then you have been redeemed by the Son, adopted by the Father, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. The enemy has been defeated. No one, not even you, can pluck you out of the hand of the Father. You are holy and blameless in Christ Jesus. You are a new creature in Christ. You are a saint. Old things have passed away. 
Rest in the mighty redemption wrought by the blood of Christ that will not, cannot let you down. Nothing, not even your secrets, can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Let's pray. Father God, we just give you praise and glory and honor for all that you've done. Your salvation is so much bigger than we can even begin to think about. And so we ask that you would work this work in us, that you would be faithful to your word, and that you would keep your promises, that you would exalt the name of Jesus above all else in this world. And it's through his mighty name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.